0: Three drop here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it
1: into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this.
0: Made an unbelievable bogey. A drop zone.
1: Hello, folks, this is Sean Zock, captain of the drop zone, my co-captain. He's down in Florida, he's in Jacks. He is at the Players' Championship, and this week he got some face time with Keegan Bradley. Now, if you know Dylan, He's a New Englander. This was a big deal. This was a long time coming. This, honestly, might be Dylan's golfing hero besides Tiger Woods. So, Keegan Bradley and Dylan talk for about 45 minutes and you're going to hear all of that. They talk about a lot of things. Um, Keegan's, you know, feelings about the Ryder Cup. Uh, It's both a distant memory for him and also something he's really trying to get back involved with this year. Um, Keegan's relationship with the belly putter right Keegan's relationship with live golf right he actually really liked the idea of live golf and frankly now he is on the PGA tour and seeing some of his best friends go to play for that other tour and uh, that certainly makes him feel a certain way and he's going to tell you all about it but before I let you hear that all you got to know is that you can also watch this interview you can watch most of this interview on YouTube um, you just have to go to YouTube slash Drop Zone Golf, and that is a treat. Why? Because these are two New England boys, two mass holes at heart, and Keegan is on point because he's wearing a Boston Red Sox hat. So if you want to watch Dylan talk to Keegan, go to the Drop Zone YouTube page. Go to the golf.com YouTube page. That's where all this stuff is going to live, and uh, it's just better that way. It's fun to watch these guys yuck it up. So, Without any further ado, here are the New Englanders, Keegan Bradley and Dylan DeChair.
0: All right, Keegan Bradley. This is a big moment in Drop Zone history. Uh, I've been, I guess, really a golf fan of yours for a while. Um, I grew up on the border of Massachusetts and Vermont. Mm. I was a a ski racer first before I was ever uh, interested in golf cross-country skiing though so kind oh, of a wow. different animal Yikes. <laughs> um anyway and then yeah there was a moment when i was in college where a, a guy kind of flagged us down from across the fairway and he said you guys any of you guys have a light you know i need a smoke it's, it was you know 9 a.m or whatever and that was your uncle john so i played <laughs> okay. i played a, a bunch of golf in college with your uncle john basically what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of of backstory that makes me excited to be here right now. So thank you for joining the drop zone. Awesome.
2: Thank you for having me. Awesome.
0: I think where I want to start is just to give people a little backstory. Everyone knows kind of your general backstory right now, but I'm curious, like thinking back now, Living for so long in Florida, like how do you reflect on your time as a New Englander, and how does that shape who you are?
2: Well, I still consider myself. That's that's who I am. I'm a New Englander. That's that's where I'm from. That's sort of my identity, I would say, of of who I am and my outlook on life and as a golfer. I'm um, feel so so grateful and thankful to have grown up in New England. Um, it's made me grateful for a lot of things living in Florida having good weather to practice and play in most most of all but um, I'm so proud of where I'm from and if you're from New England and I'm from New England we could, We're gonna be friends. So I I I love I love everything about up there um, And it's something I'm proud of how often do you get back so my mom lives in Newburyport, Massachusetts my sister does in my wife's uh family still lives in heartland vermont so uh we still have a lot of family up there and we just recently um purchased a house just in up near boston so we're gonna be spending a lot of time up there i would i would say yeah where do you play your golf when you're up there so i'm still in the process of looking uh looking around um there's a bunch of places since covid the the courses have exploded around right so it's actually hard to get in i i'm just in the process of starting that to, to I have to for me I have to first look at the practice facilities and make sure that those I can get get my work done yeah and but um, I'm just so thrilled it's been a it's been a um, sort of a goal a dream of mine to someday uh, have a place up in New England if I didn't do what I did I would live up there anyways so um, this is this has been a lifelong dream for myself and my wife and I'm just so thankful to be able to let my kids experience a New England summer and you know, holidays and Christmas up there, and it's gonna be great.
0: What is kind of the Mount Rushmore of Vermont golfers? Like, who who else is even in the conversation
2: for successful Vermont golfers ever? There haven't been many. Um, I know, for me, growing up, I was always there was a, a player named Travis Cohn. He he was from. I think he's from bennington vermont and he was always like he went yeah. to purdue and i was always i always thought of him as like the guy that i i was always watching what he did and I, I remember thinking just how incredibly good he was at golf and uh you know he was he was the guy that i watched as a kid um but you know other than that there's been a lot of you know my my some of my friends that have played but i don't know if there's ever been another vermont pga tour player ever yeah. i mean i i grew up idolizing you know the Quigley family, fax and Billy Andre, just because of the proximity of you know if you're from Rhode Island or Massachusetts, you're from new England, so i'm I'm rooting for you, and I always looked at them and idolized them yeah how How big was your town growing up because you grew up in Woodstock mm-hmm. at least a, as a kid yep. how big is woodstock, Vermont? really small It's probably three to five thousand people okay. there's no stoplights. There's no fast food restaurants. It's when you think of a town in Vermont. Mm-hmm. If you think in your head, this is what it looks like. It's very small, very quaint, but an incredible place to grow up. And so, what's the golf scene like there? Not very good. <laughs> Short season. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, I, I would play as long as I could. The, the, my dad was a, a club pro at a couple courses: Crown Point Country Club, Haystack, and then uh, Woodstock Country Club was in town. And my dad had a relationship with the club, and they let me come after school and, and hit ball, or you know, I used to pick the range or whack the balls from the from the woods and the range, and they let me play. And I would play up until I physically couldn't play anymore. So there was snow on the ground, and um, then I would I would and I started skiing. But um, you know, it it gave me a nice break from the game. When I think a lot of guys that were beating me then kind of burned out a little bit and i played a lot less golf than them and i think it ended up at the time it didn't help but i think as life went on it ended up helping me
0: yeah i just read this book range by david epstein he kind of talks about like different models of success and some athletes might peak earlier because they've focused earlier but then maybe in the long term like someone like roger federer played a bunch of different sports as a kid and then you end up maybe leapfrogging those other kids do you feel like it's important to to have access and experience in multiple sports if you're going to be a, a really top-tier athlete?
2: Yeah, I I think it's most important. I, I actually regret. I stopped playing all s- sports other than golf when I was about 15 or 16. Yeah. And I, I regret that. I wish I I wish I wish kept playing. So I, even at that point, you're saying you, you could have gone further. Yeah, I mean, so growing up in Vermont and, and then later in, in Boston, you're to play soccer or baseball, you know, in the fall or the spring, if you take that time away from golf, then my season gets even shorter. Yeah. So I got to a point where, you know, I didn't, I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't miss another season or, or a month or two of golf because yeah. I didn't have it. It was winter. So that was ultimately my choice, but I missed out on a lot of you know like high school teams and locker rooms and buddies and going to playoffs and being on the bus with the team and I I, I missed that and I ho- I hope that for my for my sons. Yeah, and so
0: what was your then high school golf experience?
2: Well, I played in Woodstock High School till I was a, j- a junior and then I moved to a place called Hopkinton, Massachusetts, and I was on a team with John Kern who played yeah. on the tour. i was gonna and say you guys were stacked. Yeah. At my, this point. I always say my. Uh, we won the state championship by 30 shots, I think. <laughs> and I always say, we had a, we had a, a girl on our team named Kim Donovan, who went to Duke. Was like, yeah. Played. She would play the forward tees, and she would beat everybody she played by like 10 shots. I think she averaged like 33 that year. <laughs> um, but I always say that my my se- my high school senior year. Team was better than my college team my first year so like we were we were just stacked and it was so fun and I got a little bit of that kind of camaraderie team thing with that team because we were so good and and we we just had the best time. So at what point do you realize? All right,
0: it's not just oh I can you know I think I can play college golf but like I actually think I could make a
2: living doing this. I think I'm good enough to be a PGA Tour player. Well, I was lucky enough to have two parents that always. I, I from i was five years old said i wanted to play on the pga tour really and I never once can i ever remember my parents saying that's far-fetched or you can't can't do that growing up in vermont they always said i could do it they always so it was always something that i knew i wanted to do and i never once ever had a backup plan and i it was just recently i was sitting at my house i fortunate enough to live in a nice house and I was looking around and I was thinking, like, geez, how lucky, how lucky am I, and how, what would I have done if this didn't work out? And I started to get like, like sweaty, like I had no other plan. And I, I remember going into like uh, the counselor's office at St. John's, where you got to map out your career past. your your golf, and you couldn't say a professional athlete. They wouldn't let you. And so I would, like, curl my toes in my shoes to tell her, like, oh, I'm going to go into finance, or you know, and I'd have to come up with this big elaborate story when, meanwhile, every inch of my soul was, like, dying inside. And I just – I didn't have another plan. So was there then any
0: point in your pro career where it seemed, like, in doubt or in jeopardy when you were playing uh, web.com stuff at that point?
2: Well, I – I, what happened in my golf career is I continuously was getting better. I never had a time really as a, I never was one of the best players in the country or, you know, but I was improving and and I kept improving. Every summer, every year I would get better and better and I started to make huge jumps in high school. And one of the big things was meeting John Curran. I, I had never met another person that was as passionate about the game as I was. And so I had a buddy to go play golf with. And, um, you know, the only thing that would, that was scary for me was financially. I Playing the mini tours, I, 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 I didn't have a ton of money to, right. I, had to make, I had to make money to keep playing. And the one time where I was in big trouble, I, uh, I was in Houston, Texas. I was playing the Hooters tour. And I, I had driven there and it didn't fly anywhere. And I had $1,200 in my bank account. And Q school was due that that coming Thursday, which was forty-five hundred dollars, and I'm, and so the previous weeks I'm like hoping I play well enough to, you know, make that money to pay for tour school, and so I had a friend that I met at Saint John's that would help me out from time to time, and I I didn't want to ask him again for help, yeah. and but I worked up the courage to call him up. His name's I call him Doc. His name's Doc Maraca, and he said Doc, I'm. I'm in Houston, I got $1,200. I have to pay for Q School, Q school on Thursday. I, I don't know what to do, I need your help. He said, how much is it? I said 4,500 and he wired me $6,000. So I paid the tour school and it was like a weight off my back and that week I went and won, I won that week, the Hooters event, won 35,000. And I won the PGA probably 13, 14 months after that. So it was like that moment, to being a major champion was almost a year window.
0: That's incredible.
2: And it, it, that was that was my moment where things were scary because like I, if you don't have the money, you can't play. You know, on the on the mini tours.
0: Yeah, I always sort of my trajectory. I was a a pretty poor mini tour golfer, um, and then eventually I just didn't have any more money, and I wasn't that good. Yeah. So I pivoted to kind of more of this line of work. <laughs> but it's worked out well because we're yeah. both here. So perfect. Um, I remember when I was first aware of you. like I mentioned we would play golf with your uncle John mm-hmm. and he was, you know, just rapidly tracking what you're up yeah. to. And there was this stretch where I don't I want to say it was like 6 tournaments in a row on the web.com that you missed the
2: cut by like one or two shots. Do you remember this? Yeah, I remember. Maybe it was
0: only 4 events,
2: but No, I think it was 6. Yeah. Yeah, and it was all by one, and I think it was. I shot all the same score, like it was insane. Be like, you'd just shoot like
0: 71 every
2: round, and it yeah. was real evidence that like
0: 71 doesn't really get it done. No, um, but at that point, were you like
2: discouraged? Do you remember how you felt through there? I I think back on those times on the wet on the corn ferry, and then my rookie year on the PJ tour, I was so naive to what was going on, like, I didn't know. I wasn't aware of how close you are to being completely out of golf. Like I didn't know, you don't get off to a good start in the west coast swing on your rookie year, you're in deep trouble with the reshuffle. And same with the corn ferry. I just was, I sort of was unaware of, I was so happy to be on the corn ferry tour. I, I thought if you make the corn ferry tour, you've done it. Yeah, like, you've you're made living it. the dream. Yeah, you've, you've done it. and. Um, you know, I, I I'm sure at that time it was stressful, but I I was just so naive to everything, and um, I think that was a big advantage. If I was year five on the Corn Ferry Tour and missed six cuts in a row, it's probably way different. Yeah, I guess that's true because then, to your point, once you got
0: there, then it was a split second before you're winning the PGA. Yeah. And at what point in that
2: stretch did you move to Jupiter? So I, was, I lived in Orlando to play the Hooters Tour. And then as soon as I got my corn ferry, John and I, we were roommates at the time. We moved to, we moved to uh, Jupiter, Florida. And that was sort of like, that's what you did back then. You, play, you lived in Orlando when you played the minis. And then when you got any status, you went to Jupiter. Was that a tiger thing? Like, what, what was the magnet to Jupiter? I, honestly, I just remember like thinking the ocean was there. And like that's yeah. what, that's what you did. I don't know. It was way less than it is now. Now everybody lives there. Back then, like there was probably fifteen to twenty guys. Now yeah. there's a hundred maybe. Right. But it was just like the courses were a little better the better players live there, you know, I don't know. It was just something was pulling us there. It's been interesting to me kind of thinking through how these different pockets exist.
0: Like, you know, there's kind of a Scottsdale crew, there's Mm -hmm. a Dallas crew, there's like a Sea Island Mafia, there's, and, but the Jupiter squad I think has remained like, at one point it was, you know, six or seven of the top 10 guys in the yep. world, I think. How has your lifestyle kind of shifted as you've become you know, a family man instead of just a guy kicking around
2: in his early 20s? Well, a lot's changed. I, I have to manage my time a lot better. Um, like, I just finished playing Bay Hill. I drove home last night, saw the family, took my oldest son to school, Logan, this morning and then came here. Wow. You know, that's yeah. not something, I normally, I would have just come straight here after. So I have to do that it's it's really it's it's a lot tougher because like this morning first thing my son said to me when i woke up is why are you leaving you just got home oh it's 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 brutal it's something that i never really thought about to be honest and so i have to manage that like i'll after this week i'll head home again and and um i gotta do every every effort i can make to be even home with my family for another hour is important and you were by nature, kind of a grinder, mm-hmm. right? Like before
0: you had a family, I get the sense that you would spend as much time as you could yep. working on your game.
2: Has that had to evolve? It, it evolves a little. I I always say this at my wife, Jillian, is, I'm so lucky to have her because she allows me to be the best that I can be. And you'd be surprised that that's not always the case. Mm, yeah. You know, I, if I need to go practice all day long, No worries, but what I what I try to do is I I time it around the kids in school, and I have to maximize every second of my time at the golf course. So there's no hanging out and you know doing like if I'm there from whatever time, like let's do it. We got to hit it. We got to maximize every second. Yeah, I mean I guess that makes sense. It's sort of like working towards a deadline. That's exactly right. It's it's deadline practice.
0: how, does that affect your schedule
2: at all, and what events you play? Yeah, it does. I I don't like to be away for more than two weeks, so you know the Florida swing's great because I can zip home or they can come. But for me, three weeks is away, totally away from the family. I've never done it, so I try to do that. You know that's not that's not always possible for everybody, but luckily right now I'm able to to do that, and it's something that is important to me like it's just a it's such a weird life that we live like and it's I always try to think of my son like he doesn't know like he doesn't really get it and I always try to think about what he's thinking where I'm going because I I never say I'm going to play golf I'm always going to work so I don't want him to think that I'm just going out to have fun and leaving him so it's definitely a a tough thing to balance um you're at a really interesting spot
0: in your career right now I mean literally yesterday you just played a great round I think sneak into the top 10 at Bay Hill Um, but your early success came so quickly once you're on the PGA tour Um, you won the PGA you won in Texas like you were on the Ryder Cup teams you were playing with Phil Mickelson and then you know you never played bad by any means but it just seemed like reality set in a little bit more of you were not on the Ryder Cup yep. team, and here you are back. You're in the top 20 in the world again. You're a PGA Tour winner. Like, how do you reflect on all of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I. It's hard to it's hard to explain. I mean, I. Everybody's gonna go through ebbs and flows in their career. I remember Ernie Els telling me one time I was flying home with him, and he said, "You're always gonna go. It's gonna be like a wave in your career." I had, and he said, "I had this huge dip in my prime." and you know i was freaking out and blah 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 but don't and just enjoy it and i said to him well what was your dip he goes i went from f- number one in the world to eighth in the world i go dude <laughs> that's not that big yeah. of a dip but technically it's down but yeah. yeah i mean i i felt like i had a i had a, a year or two in there that was wasn't up to my standards but i've always been in the thir- the bmw I've, i felt like i've been pretty consistent taking the belly putter away was a really affected me and I think it would affect anybody you know so yeah that was something that I've had to navigate Um, sometimes I let my brain slip into they never banned it and how that works out but I'm proud of the way that I've come back from it but it was a it was a bit of an issue for a while
0: yeah, where, do, where does your brain go at that point? What is the alternate
2: reality for Keegan Bradley with the belly putter? Well, I first... I mean, this is your dream, so this it can my be my dream. Well, yeah. first, I had a, I would have a few words for the boys over at the USGA. That'd be my first thing I'd do. And second, I I mean, the way I explain it to, to everybody is like, let's say the, one of the best things you do is my putting. Let's just say with the belly putter. So they take that away. So now I've lost... Thousands of hours of practice. Not only have I lost them, I've given them up to Justin Thomas and, you know, the best players in the world. I've also lost, okay, when I feel a little nervous, this is the feel I'm going to have. Or on left to right putts, I feel like my tendency is to pull them or whatever. So so I've lost all those feels. Now I have to go all the way back, get these hours back, and get these feels back and learn, learn how to putt again, honestly. And, you know, if I took away you know, let's say John Rahm's best thing he does is drive the ball. He does everything great, but I'm going to take that away. So you got to start from scratch there. Like it'd be tough for anybody. And um, I think that I sort of thought I would just be able to just bounce. Like it wouldn't affect me at all. And it it did. And luckily I've I've gotten back to a point where I feel like I'm putting actually a little better than I did. And, And I'm proud of that. How
0: have you done that? Because statistically, it's pretty clear that you know over the last season, season and a half, your putting has been a lot better. And it's especially obvious in weeks that you have high finishes. Yep. I mean, you hit the ball so well, so consistently, that it seems like if you have a good putting week, you're definitely going to be in the mix. Have you made specific changes, or is it just a matter of getting those feels after a few years?
2: I think it's getting those feels, getting those hours back. Um, and then I started working with Phil Kenyon. and. Uh, He sort of helped me learn to read greens better. Uh, You know, I I would go to these putting coaches, all of them, and they'd all say to me, your putting stroke looks amazing. I'd get on all these stupid machines, and they'd go, everything about your stroke's amazing, which is the worst thing I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear... Oh wow, dude! I can't believe you've been able to play. You're taking it too far out, and bo- like then I can go work on it. And yeah. I get, how do you make sense of that? Yeah. If the stroke so, looks good. So th- that was I. I would hear that from everybody, and in their response would be, I don't know how you're putting so bad. And so like it was hard, and and Phil was the first guy to sort of identify. Okay, you're o- he, this. This is what we came down to. You're over reading your putts and your alignment. Is higher than your even your read, so I was over reading my putts and then aiming higher than my over read. So it didn't matter how good my stroke was, it didn't matter how many drills I did, all, all that. Like it just, they wouldn't go in. Like, There's a lot
0: of pro side misses. though. Yes,
2: yeah, a lot of pro side misses. So once we got that dialed in, you know, and it's still a work in progress, obviously, but now, like if like you said, if I have a if I have a positive putting week, I should be up there on the leaderboard, hopefully with a chance to win. When you think
0: back at, at your last few wins, I guess what stands out? Is there one that stands out above the rest of like, okay, this is a huge confidence builder, like winning the Zozo or, you know, winning the BMW a few years ago. Is there any particular win or do they all kind of keep that momentum going of like, all right, I still got this? Yeah,
2: well, that you always have that feeling. But, I mean, Zozo was, was huge, I think, for me. I, I, most of my all of my wins I've been chasing – and like I, I like an Akron when I won at WGC, I didn't win, I didn't wasn't leading the tournament until the tournament was over. So this one, I played with the, I played with the, either close to the lead for the last 36 holes, and then I played with the lead the last 15 holes, and I felt totally confident and good. And you know, I give a lot of credit to my c- caddy Scotty Vale. He's uh, just an extraordinary caddy, a good friend, and I feel like. Now when I get in contention, especially with him around, I'm going to be tough, and we're just a good team. And I, I'm lucky to have had incredible – I think about this all the time. I've had incredible caddies in my career. I had Pepsi and Chad Reynolds and Lance, and I just, I just feel very lucky about that. But, you know, this, my, my partnership with Scotty right now is really strong, and, and I feel like in a lot of ways I have an advantage now. You know, right now and in where I'm at, just with my coach Darren May, Phil Kenyon, um, and Scotty, and the combination of everybody, I'm in. I'm in just a great spot. That's awesome.
0: It sounds like your confidence is then fairly high at the moment. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to last summer because watching you, you know, walk the fairways at the Country Club especially coming up that 18th and and getting those cheers and getting those chants and then playing so well to really play yourself into contention. That seemed incredibly cool. I mean, I remember like just getting chills watching that. How do you think about that experience now reflecting on it and looking back at it? Well, I
2: I would put that up there as one of the best moments of my entire life, honestly. It was something that was just horribly nerve-wracking the whole week I threw out the first pitch of Fenway yeah which I've officially retired from I'm never doing it again because I don't I don't enjoy a second of it yeah. it's it I, I wish I could enjoy it I can't I've realized that I'm done I've, I've done it twice at Fenway I'm not doing it ever again but so that was stressful my whole family's there I and it's silly because you know they don't care how you play but I want to play well for them I could care less how for me I would wanna I want everybody that's come out and the local fans and the you know, the people from New England, the people from Massachusetts and the history there. I went to the Ryder Cup there in ninety nine and I went with my dad on Friday and Sunday and we were on the eighteenth green when they won and everyone stormed the green and no cell phones at the time. I was like twelve right. or thirteen. And my I said to my dad, I go, Dad, I wanna I wanna go run out in the green. And I, I think now of my son asking me to do this, he would be like no way you're not doing this. But my dad said, okay, run out there. I'm going to stand by this crooked tree behind the green and go out and do your thing and come back. So I, I ran out there. I was on the green. I thought it was the coolest thing. And every day when I'm coming up 18, I, that crooked tree still there. And, and it just, it would just jog my, there's some moments in your career where you realize like this is, we've come, I've come so far and that's one of those moments. And then walking up 18 and getting that ovation. And as a kid, always wondering what it was like to get cheered at Fenway or Gillette Stadium or wherever. And I got to feel that. And it was its something that I'll never forget. And I'm proud. I'm very proud of that week. And um, it was awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess especially you mentioned the Ryder Cup, but there hasn't really been a major championship in New England in, you know, your competitive lifetime yeah. for sure. So that does feel like truly a, a once in a lifetime type deal.
2: Yeah, I mean we like we go to Hartford and mm-hmm. that's New England and that's great and I get treated so great there. Yeah. But Massachusetts is different. Like, Hartford's right on the edge. Yeah, that's it's half New England. Anything south of Hartford is Yankee territory. Yankees and Giants and so but like we don't ever get to play in Massachusetts, and, like, this is the country club for us in New England. That's the that's the course, and I went to high school 25 minutes from there, and I went there to watch the Ryder Cup, like I said, and my whole family's there, and they're not only there, they're driving from their house, you know, and uh, it was just, and I had, uh, I rented a house right by the course, And the the cops that would guard the streets. One the guy's name was Sully. Like they had the accent, and it was just like it felt like they're letting my family come and park because you know they know that we're all from there. They're letting, they're pulling cones up for me to cut across, and it just was like, it just was, it just, it would have been great if I didn't play well, but to play well on top of it was just, uh, just amazing.
0: Your crew when you first moved to Jupiter. I mean, it was kind of defined. I guess not even necessarily just in Jupiter, but the guys you would play with on tour. I mean, you'd spend a bunch of time with Phil, with Ricky. You'd play with Jordan at home, with Luke Donald, I feel like. Uh, Brendan Steele. Like, how, is, how have your friends on the PGA Tour changed over time? Or is
2: it, like, a more solitary experience as you get older? Well, it is because a bunch of my friends have gone to live recently. I mean, yeah. Brendan Steele is one of my closest friends in the entire world. He yeah. was in my wedding. Uh, play every Tuesday together every dinner on the road our families are friends and then overnight he's gone and like you know i i and the the other guy i used to play a lot of golf with here and hang with was cameron tringali oh yeah so they're on the same team so it's certainly been been strange in that aspect because you know all of a sudden overnight i look around i'm one of the older guys out here and you know the younger guys have their own crew and their own what they do and um, it's been strange, especially with Steely going, it's, it's like really been strange these last month yeah. or
0: so. Yeah, so I guess it's only
2: been a few weeks at this yeah. point,
0: right? Yeah. yeah, but that's already a hole that you're feeling. Were you, like, were you tempted to go
2: play for Live? Was that ever, like, a, a close <laughs> reality for you in any way? It, it, um, I have a much different view, uh, a different view than a lot of guys. I don't have any hard feelings to the guys that went, and I'm happy for the guys that went and got a ton of money. I mean, that's what we're doing out here, you yeah. know. But for me, like, I I want to win the players this tournament here. I want to I want to win Bay Hill Memorial and like to think to not be able to play in the majors. You know, n- not because they wouldn't be allowed to, but you, you wouldn't have the world ranking. Yeah. You know, like th- they can play as much as they want, but it's a harder it, road. It's a harder road and. The thought of not being in those tournaments is brutal. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I think that the the setup of how they do it with the teams and the and the, the way they're all playing, I think it's brilliant. I, I, I loved the concept. I thought it was smart. But you know, I ultimately, like, I really want to, playing in the US Open at Brookline, really, like, I can't miss this. This is too big. This is too important to me. Ryder Cup this year.
0: You're in a good spot right now. How much is that on your
2: mind, kind of day to day and week to week? I would say it's on my mind almost every second. <laughs> I was sitting around last night uh, on my couch and I was thinking, like, man, you could really make this team. Like this is a, like this is a this is a reality. Like the, you you could have dreams of making the team, or you know the past teams that I missed by a lot. Like I wanted to play on those teams, but it wasn't, you know. I, I, this one, I feel like I, I legitimately would have a great chance of just qualifying. Forget about getting a spot. Like I'd like to qu- qualify, and um, you know, Zach. I've been on teams with Zach, right? And like, I would love to play for Zach. And you know, I'm I'm 36. I don't know how many more. I mean, I'd love to play in five more Ryder Cups, but you know, I I realize like this is like this one. This one's going to be, this is the one I, I, I really want to play. I want to play with these group of guys. These these guys are tough, young, hard players. Like They're going to be tough to beat. Have you ever been to Italy before? I have, my honeymoon. It's my oh. favorite place in the entire world, actually. Yeah. All right,
0: extra incentive. Yeah. Not that I don't think you needed any extra no. incentive. Um, so how, how instrumental or how involved have you wanted to be as the PGA Tour is then kind of reshaping
2: itself uh, over the course of the last 12 months? I haven't been involved at all, to be honest. I haven't been asked to be in any of the meetings or uh, these secret player meetings and all that. Like I, I'm sort of been on the outside looking in. Yeah. Um, You know, the only way to change that is to play really good golf, which I feel like I've done. So uh, it kind of motivated me a little bit, as I felt a little bit disrespected, a little bit. I felt like maybe i i would have liked to have been in these meetings and heard what was going on because yeah. i think it was an advantage to know sort of how the tour was was going and um but i i i feel grateful to have the sort of the fate of the tour i guess in the hands of rory and these guys because they're smart and good guys and great players and have a lot of trust in them and um and you know, it's 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 just crazy that all the changes that have happened just in my 13 years on the tour.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what feel, what feels different now than when you first got out here? Do you can well, you even identify how the, the vibe is different
2: on tour? Well, I think it's much harder to stay out here. Yeah. I I remember my, first couple years on tour, there was a, big group of older players like sort of 45 and older in in like they were good and they they were tough and that whole age group is sort of gone now and it's been replaced by really young players that are totally ready to play and win and be on ryder cup teams and win majors and i feel like that's been a big shift and like you need to be so good i i've noticed a, a big jump in in competitiveness on the tour since my first year I think it's the players are so are so good and top to bottom they're they're incredible well now it feels like that's only
0: getting more that way I guess it's going to be even more difficult to keep your card and keep your status and now to get into this elite crew of of top 50 players that will play all these elevated events right
2: yeah i mean it's 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 quite a time to be on the tour. It's quite a time to be on the tour and be a good player too I mean that's um playing for a lot of money it's a lot at stake every week yeah. like this whole this whole start of the year since Maui it seems like every tournament is huge yeah like there's no there's no weeks like every week is a big purse every week's got millions of fedEx cup points um and world ranking points and it just seems like the tour is magnified now and the pressure is more and there's more at stake and that's great it seems like you would be a guy that would really feed off of that yeah i i love it i was telling somebody on the, the other day like it's uh it's so f- one of the perks of playing well is being in these featured pairings just to, to start yeah. thursday friday because i feel like you're clicked in right away and it, it's it's you always see those guys they're there are the best players you always see those guys at the top of the leaderboard because I feel like you're ready you're you're like okay cameras are on um, crowds are there and it's one of the perks of playing well is you're in these better tee times and better waves and it's just uh it's just it's just great you mentioned that yeah you you
0: notice not being you know invited to that that Delaware meeting and stuff have you always been someone that's sort of Looked to little perceived slights for motivation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think us growing up in New England, like yeah. I always feel like I'm getting overlooked. <laughs> so, I I'm sure I, I worked that up in my head a little bit, but it really helped me. Honestly, I I I'd hear he was in that meeting, and I'd be like, okay. And I I it really motivated motivated me that off season to really work hard. I lost a ton of weight, changed my diet, and I wanted to come out and. and be one of the best players in the world and the, the beautiful part about the pga tour is if you play well you're gonna get rewarded it's not like if you're on a team and your coach doesn't play you you're like your destiny is in your own hands like everybody's gonna have a chance this week that's in the field in four days to win the tournament doesn't if you play better than the other person you're gonna win and uh i love that about the tour and it's in it's all in my hands and i have a a lot of people that count on me in terms of my caddy, my family, and you gotta, you gotta take, you don't can't take that lightly. Yeah, I think that's maybe something that's like misunderstood about these new
0: no cut events uh, is like there's still a cut; it's just not happening that week. Like, yeah, I you've mean, gotta you gotta play your way into those events. Also,
2: if you come in fifty fifth place, you're still not getting that many FedEx Cup points. Right. Like, just because you're in them, like some of my hardest weeks have been. No cut events where you're playing so bad and you're in the back of the pack as you're slogging through. Normally it's like a, a quick death. You're miscut. You're out of there. Um, but I still in in the fields are going to be so strong. Like it's going to be it's going to be a tough week to to finish high.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. Um, is there anything you're working on in your game specifically right now? So I was just talking to my coach and I feel like right now I'm not working on any new clubs my, my bag is totally set i i had a my 3 iron at phoenix was was acting funny and i switched that out with a new Strixon like a like a driving iron type 3 iron a big chunker 3 iron and driver's good and everything for the first time in a in a while i haven't been sort of tinkering with a driver haven't been tinkering with you know a 3 iron and i don't have to do any of that this week and I feel like my swing's in a good place. So right now, all I'm trying to do is go out there, warm up, get, get, get the feel for the greens, the firmness, and get ready to play. And it's, it's, you don't always have that. And it's, it's sort of a relief to have that, especially at a place like this. Last couple questions, and I'll, I'll let you get on
0: with your Monday here. But you've mentioned having all this anxious energy like before you throw out the first pitch at Fenway. How do you channel that same energy and and being that way
2: in general, being a professional golfer? Well, I'm an anxious person every day of my life at every second. You know, like playing golf is hard for me. I don't go out and play easy rounds. Like it's hard for me to go out there and hit every shot. Like it's hard to, it's hard to know that I got to play this course and hit four shots on 17, four shots off of the 18th tee. Like this doesn't come easy to me, and it, it's a lot of it's a lot of work to manage the stress and the, what I got to do out well and to get ready to play. And you know, the the only way to do it is to try to be prepared. And some like last week, I was telling my coach, like I I know I had a good week, but every shot I hit was difficult. I just was one of those weeks where even just like a straightforward little pitch. Like, I had, I had stress over it. In some weeks, it's not like that. But for me, that whole week was difficult. And that's when you, when I have a good finish, it almost feels better than if you finish second or third. Because it's like, man, I really made a lot out of that. Because it just felt difficult the whole time. I mean, that sounds exhausting. Oh, it's exhausting. I, my wife knows after about an hour or two after my round, a tournament round, I can barely have a conversation. Like I'm, my brain is just, it's gone. I've been doing math problems all day. I've been looking at the wind and figuring out how far 150's playing or don't hook it in this water here. And you know, so like after the round, sometimes people will talk to me and I'll be looking at them and I can't compute. Like it's like my, my brain's fried. And um, it's it's just, it's, it's difficult, but it's also what I've wanted to do my whole life. And I love it too. So I don't want to make it t- sound like it's brutal but no
0: no I mean just I think that it takes a lot out of you and that a a round is a full commitment are there other guys out here who you feel like approach the game in a similar way or that you've had interesting conversations with about their approach
2: yeah I mean I think guys that I mean I can't speak for other guys but I think guys that grew like the guys that have grown up winning the whole their whole career they they have a different outlook, and 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 they they have a different way of the way they play. I think a guy like me that's sort of, I've had to grind here to you know I've always felt I've had to put the work in. If I don't put the work in, I'm not going to play well. And you know you can sort of sense the guys that are like that, and guys that like you go. Warm up, go play nine holes, come back, and there's the guy still whacking balls in the same spot. And, and, and I, I have a lot of respect for those guys. But, you know, there's, there's definitely guys that, like a Dustin Johnson, he lets, the, he's, he's, the best thing about him is he lets things just slide off. I'm so, gel- I'm so, he doesn't affect them. And he'll say it, people will say it won't affect you, but they're lying. He says something that I didn't care. It's totally true. He means it. And, and you know, that's never going to be me. So I can't pretend to be that sort of player, but um, you know, uh, but yeah, we're all a little bit crazy out here. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? So, I, I always my aunt Pat played on the LPGA tour forever. She's in the Hall of Fame. She's was my here is my hero. Like I, the fact that I have some. I when I drive up from Jupiter, I drive by the World Golf Hall of Fame, and it's always, it's always. I went there in the grand opening and watched her get in. And it's always like shocking to me that that, that there's someone in my family that's I mean, in there for
0: for a number of years. It was you know, oh yeah, Pat Bradley's yeah. nephew, Kevin right.
2: Bradley. That was just part of your name. Was it that? should At least be for a couple years. It yeah. should be. She's a legend, and um, I just was always so impressed with how hard she worked. And then I'd hear a story from another player about because she would never like brag about how hard she worked, but I'd hear like, I remember and back in the day I had breakfast, Pat was in the bunker hitting, I went and played 18 holes, came back and she was still there. And like I hear those stories and I, I used to remember going and watching her and, and I'd want to be there right when she warmed up all the way through. And I would try to stand in the walkways between tea, between the green and tea and try to like, you know, wave at her. She would never see me. She was so focused. So she would always tell me like you got to work hard and you know i think that's that new england mentality like we all are we're all sort of worry about like this is all gonna fall apart it's gonna all <laughs> get go and yeah. she would always just tell me like always work hard and and i always just sort of watched and watched what she did and it wasn't so much of what she would say to me it's just i could just i just knew i could just see the way she I, she went about this as a job and it wasn't any no there wasn't much fun about it and it was i'm gonna go in clock in and, and and do my best and work as hard as i can that's awesome um
0: last thing because i've only heard this second hand but we, we played a course in college it was in northern vermont it was middlebury's home course it's called the ralph meyer yeah and uh i mean we just hated it it was a oh, short yeah. tight OB right on every hole in the back nine I think so just any righty that's just a a nightmare waiting to happen I feel like I heard that you shot like 88 there at some formative moment I was gonna say (laughs) is this true
2: yes I I I was gonna say one of my worst rounds of my life was at that tournament was in the, I was playing the state championship or it was like divisional round or whatever and I'm this hot shot you know gonna beat everybody everyone's like thinking i'm gonna win and i went out and shot i think it was 88 or 86 and i was i was older then too i was like this was in high school yeah this was in high school and i remember being so embarrassed well thanks yeah exactly when you said ralph meyer like Mm -hmm. a chill went down oh no (laughs) this
0: is me kind of just bringing you back down to earth yeah oh yeah Ryder cup well remember that 88 (laughs) when you were 15 years old yeah um well keegan this has been really really fun for me i appreciate you coming on and uh we'll have to do it again especially once you make it on that Ryder cup that's right Thanks, brother.
1: All righty. Major shout-out to Keegan Bradley for making Dylan's dreams come true. And, you know, shout-out to Dylan for making it happen as well. Getting down to Jack's and talking about everything. Keegan is such an interesting character, truly one of the best ball strikers on the PGA Tour. When we say that, we mean guys with their irons, and if you want to add driving to it, that's fine too because you're striking the ball with your driver. But anyways, Keegan, truly T.D. Green, one of the best players on the planet, and that can be a good thing to have on your Ryder Cup team. So anyways, think about it. Think about it, fans. Think about Dylan and how his dreams were made true this week down to the players. And then uh, tune back in Sunday night, Monday morning. We're going to tell you everything that happened. See you then.